0: My name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. I'm the owner and co-founder of School for the Dogs, a dog training center located in Manhattan's East Village.
1: School, school School for for the the dogs, dogs, for
0: the dogs. School, school School for for the the dogs. dogs, for the dogs. On this podcast, I talk about dog training, interview industry experts, discuss pet trends, answer questions, and try to communicate my love for all things related to behavioral science. Thanks a lot for listening. I think this podcast will help make you the best possible human best friend any dog could ask for. Hey there. So this is sort of a follow-up to last week's Mammoth Pet Insurance uh, episode, I just wanted to uh, mention or reiterate a few things and respond to some feedback I've gotten. And then I do have an interesting interview to share. Um, but I just wanted to re- reiterate that uh, I think it's a good idea to get pet insurance as early in your dog's life as possible because uh, I don't think there are. Any companies out there that are really gonna um, cover pre-existing conditions so you want to get a plan uh, that you like before your dog or cat has any conditions and the sooner that you start out with one company the more time you may have to uh, stop working with that company, try a different company, etc., etc. Once your dog or cat has any kind of pre-existing conditions, you're going to kind of be locked into working with whichever brand you're with um, because you're not going to be able to switch and get that stuff covered. Um, if you do have a dog who has a pre-existing condition, definitely check out the Pet Assure discount code, which... I talk about in the episode which is probably the best option in those cases. I also got some feedback that I was a little dismissive of uh, companies that offer different kinds of insurance um, and uh, I think that's totally true. I was just trying to narrow the field a little bit, um, set some parameters, um, arbitrary as they may be. but. Uh, uh, a couple people have reached out to me, for instance, and said that they have nationwide um, and said they're really happy with Nationri- nationwide. I ran a quote and it looks like uh, nationwide would um, cover just about everything that the plan I ultimately, or the company I ultimately chose, would cover. They don't have a, tons of um, options to toggle and choose from, which I actually really like I think it simplifies things and um, the the quote that I got from them looks like it would be about what I'm going to end up pay- paying per month with the plan I chose with the company I chose um, except the deductible would be lower I have a thousand dollar deductible the nationwide one would be 250 the wellness visit would still be covered and um, they would cover 90% of bills, although the plan I got is 100% of bills. So I think um, definitely uh, that's one worth checking out. And as I did mention uh, in the last episode, if you already have uh, insurance that you like, a lot of people already have nationwide for their, for their home insurance or renter's insurance or car insurance or whatever, um, you might be able to get a deal bundling your insurances together. Uh so again that is one of my major recommendations. I think Geico has uh which I know a lot of other people have for um like car insurance. They work with Embrace um which um uh is uh, a company that was that um Bob Capobianco who I spoke to last uh last episode who is a rep from Crum and Forrester, He uses Embrace, which is funny because that's not one of the companies he, he represents, um, but he had good things to say about them. Anyway, I think there are a lot of really good options out there, and as I said in the last episode, uh, I think it, it probably, um, not that it doesn't matter, but I think it's so much more important that you have pet insurance uh, at this point. Uh, I, I have figured out than not have pet insurance, that which one you choose, um, chances are, it's gonna be pretty good because overall I was um, pretty impressed with most of the companies I looked at. I also have had people reach out about Truepanion saying that they uh, have had good experience with Truepanion. I ran a quote for Truepanion, it would be about the same again, roughly the same as what uh, I ended up with, although the deductible. It's a little bit lower. They also cover 90% versus 100% for an extra roughly $12 a month. Um, I could get uh, add-ons including uh, acupuncture, behavioral modification, chiropractic, homeopathy, hydrotherapy, natural therapy, physical therapy, rehabilitative therapy, and um, boarding fees in the event of my hospitalization. Uh, holiday vacation cancellation costs I guess because of a pet's um, illness or death, cremation uh, uh, or burial for deaths due to an accident they cover those costs, and liability coverage for third-party property damage which is interesting. Um, I actually asked Daniel Colhill of The Pet Tale about this the other day and he said though that most of the time if you have home insurance that will cover any damage uh, that is done by your dog. But interesting that they do offer that as an extra, as an extra perk. And they will also uh, help towards the cost of um, advertising if you lose your dog and providing a reward if you lose your dog or cat. Worth noting, that Trupanion is underwritten by American Pet Insurance, which is also the underwriter of AKC Pet Insurance and uh, Pets Best and Pet Partners. So I guess this is like another Crumb and Forster situation of like one company and different brands, which I admit I'm still a little fuzzy about. Uh, And I had um, someone from Pumpkin, uh, reach out to me saying that I uh, was overly dismissive dismissive of the differences between Pumpkin and the other brands, which I was kind of lumping together. And um, again, this is not my specialty. I'm doing my best, just like you, to understand all of this. Um, but I still kind of like that the brand I chose is like an independent brand that is not in any way like a marketing uh, a marketing effort of a larger brand, um, but that's uh, that's just me. And again, I think sometimes we make choices in these areas that um, maybe don't make a huge amount of sense, but you have to you have to set some sort of criteria, right? Anyway, a major thing that I neglected to discuss last week was coverage for things relating to. Uh, behavior, specifically if you need your dog to see a veterinary behaviorist, and some of you might be listening and saying, what the heck is a veterinary behaviorist? So I asked Brianna Ballow of Behavior Vets to talk to me about what veterinary behaviorists do and what kind of um, insurance will cover their work with clients. Brianna uh, is not a veterinary behaviorist, but she is the person who is helping a lot of clients deal with their bills. I'll have her explain exactly what she does in a moment. And I should say that uh, most of the Crum and Forster companies look like they will indeed cover visits to a veterinary behaviorist, you so said they will cover an initial visit, but uh, a little unclear to me what happens after that initial visit. I it looks like a lot of these comp- companies say that they cover uh, if there is some medical need for treatment, but of course, um, mental issues can certainly be medical issues, and. Uh, Wagmo says they will cover veterinary behaviorist if there's a referral from a regular vet. TruePanion will cover things having to do with behavior if you get that additional, one of those additional um, add-ons that I just mentioned, which looks like it's something around 5 or $6 a month. And... Uh, it was also explained to me that some of these companies treat uh, problems that might be you, you might think is a pre-existing condition as something that could go away uh, if it's gone away for six months and then comes back. It is, luckily for you, considered a new condition, not a pre-existing condition. So, it's possible you might say, you know, gosh, I want my dog to continue going to her veterinary behaviorist for these issues she's having, or even just to a regular vet for these issues she's having, I don't know if it'll be covered, Um, you could talk to your vet to see if it's something that might fall under this, uh, this, um, like, coda of uh, conditions that are allowed to be considered um, vanished and then reappearing. Uh, and if you're already seeing a veterinary behaviorist for an issue, you could uh, also reach out to the veterinary behaviorist and see if there's some n- way that they could perhaps code the problem differently on the bill. Uh, uh, again, I, this is not my area of expertise. Not talking about ethics here. <laughs> not sure what's right and wrong. But if you're hoping to get coverage, For an animal who's already seeing a veterinary behaviorist, um, definitely bring this up with them uh, beforehand so that you don't find that um, all of it's considered a pre-existing condition and nothing is going to be covered. Anyway, for more information on this topic, I'm now going to share with you uh, my conversation with Brianna.
1: Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Brianna, and I am currently uh, an employee of Behavior Vets of New York City. We also have another location in Colorado as well, so we're able to service clients from all over the country. Um, Currently, I am a client and administrative service coordinator for the business, uh, but I am also a certified veterinary technician as I currently live in Colorado. Um, I've been a technician for longer than I'd like to admit. Um, Before joining Behavior Vets, I was an internal medicine and emergency technician at a big referral hospital for about 11 years. So I bring a lot of that experience. Um, And I also have associate's degrees in exotic animal training. Um I attended a program out in Moore Park, California called the Exotic Animal Training and Management Program. So I have a lot of experience uh, with exotics and also working uh, as a trainer with behavior vets um, shortly in the beginning of my uh, career with them. Yeah. but uh, currently More I've cool. been with behavior vets for about four years.
0: Great. so to to people who aren't clear on this, um, I would love if you can explain what a veterinary behaviorist is and, uh, and how you work with dog, or how you as, as a representative of behavior vets, <laughs> right. uh-huh. how you uh, work with uh, dog trainers.
1: Absolutely. So, um, yeah, working with behavior vets. So a behavior veterinarian is going to be a different from just your normal, say, general practitioner. Um, they're specialized in behavior Um, And we see everything from separation anxiety cases, aggression cases, uh, noise fears and phobias, anything behavior related that you can think of. Um, we see over here. Um, So the behavior veterinarian will tackle the case from a medical standpoint. They'll be able to offer official diagnosis, prognosis for conditions, and lead the treatment plan from a medical perspective. Also incorporating into the fact that we want to make sure that our patients are physically healthy because oftentimes physical ailments can certainly contribute to worsening of existing uh, behavioral issues or start to cause them in cases of pain, um, things like that. Um, We work very closely with trainers um, around the city, and we also have trainers and consultants in-house as well um, to enact the therapy portion of the doctor's behavior plan. Now, not everybody needs a behavior vet to start with. We also just do like basic uh, obedience and manners training with puppies um, without seeing a behavior vet as well. But the, the trainer or consultant will enact any plans that the behavior vet has as far as what we need to work with this cat dog, bunny, we see all species, uh, what they need to do as far as therapy is concerned. So that could be um, muzzle training or training a hand target, training a dog to take deep breaths on cue. I mean, the list could really just go on and on. Um, I often describe the behavior vet trainer relationship as exactly like psychiatrist, psychologist, right? So some people, they just need to go see a therapist, sit on the couch, talk about their problems, and they can manage their anxiety um, conditions quite well, which that would be what a trainer or consultant does. Um, if you need a, le- a little extra help in your treatment plan, then that's typically when you get the doctor involved to um, discuss it from a medical standpoint as well.
0: Right. And uh, we have worked with uh, Dr. Two and Dr. Christensen of Behavior Vets for many years. But you guys yeah. also have your own uh, stable of dog trainers who work exclusively for uh for behavior vets and i'm assuming is that common and we should also mention that there, there's really only what like 50 or 60 veterinary behaviorists in the country right
1: i don't know how many in the country I, last i knew it was around 80 in the entire world so yes we're we're few and far in between as, as far as finding yes. us but yes we definitely we have our own staff of um, trainers and consultants. Over here, I think we're up to eight to 10 of them now. Um, We do service a, a wide range in the New York area. We go up into Westchester, um, down into Brooklyn, Queens, and then areas that we cannot service for in-person appointments simply because of um, travel time. Um, we try to serve as, as many people virtually as possible. And also in conjunction and in, in working with qualified trainers and consultants around the area as well, which School for the Dogs, we definitely, we love working with you guys. You've got tra- great trainers on your staff.
0: Thanks. So is it pretty typical then that, that veterinary behaviorists will have trainers that are working for
1: them? It is pretty typical, you know, on the websites that I've seen when cruising around, um, you know, it's a pretty small field, so we all kind of know each other. I do think we have one of the biggest staffs uh, as far as trainers and consultants go. Um, The majority of the behavior vets I've seen, you know, may just have a couple on staff, but um, it is very common for them to have their own trainers or consultants on staff just to provide continuity of care mainly.
0: And uh, uh, one thing that people ask all the time Um, what is the difference between a a behaviorist or a veterinary behaviorist or a behaviorist and a dog trainer? Can Mm -hmm. can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, I I get that those calls often, you know, people reach out and they're saying, I'm seeking a behaviorist for my dog, which I feel is a a very generalized term that kind of gets tossed around and clients usually don't know what that means. So, you know, it's oftentimes, you know, talking about, you know, just the difference between a behavior vet and a a consultant or a trainer you know there's lots of different levels as far as education experience goes um, all over so it's just really our job to educate people on uh, what the difference between them is um, but typically if they're asking to see a behaviorist i'm going to assume that they mean a behavior vet but that's not always the case sometimes they're just seeking a, a qualified consultant or a trainer right
0: i often explain to people that you know i uh, as trainers at school for the dogs, we we're behaviorists with a a small <laughs> a small B. We believe in in using the science of behavior to to uh, affect change in the animals that we work with. But we are we are not veterinary behavior behaviorists, behaviorists um, or certified uh, applied animal behaviorists. Um, and they're right. they're very yeah. very 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 few people who really can. Call themselves behaviorists because they have either, you need, well, you could be a veterinary behaviorist. You could also have a, be a behaviorist with a, a PhD, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different right. uh, roads to the spectrum on that.
0: But even that, there are not that many um, actual behaviorists who are not vets who are working with um, with dogs. Uh, so yeah, I agree that it's words that I've I've heard people throw around and, and misunderstand, and it's a little totally. frustrating.
1: But but yeah, <laughs> not, not like it's not like they have bad intentions. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And it's just a, you know what are we called basically <laughs> with our definition? Um, <clears throat> I call myself a dog trainer, basically. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That, that cuts uh, to
0: the point. <laughs> so I think I mean I I think this is an interesting conversation just because I think most people have no idea what a veterinary behaviorist is. So thank you totally for agree. for yeah. chatting in order to even just explain what a veterinary behaviorist is. Um, and I I wanted to talk specifically about insurance, but I I think it's worth mentioning. And, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but there are people who have a puppy who is having like pretty basic puppy issues who mm-hmm. will seek out. A veterinary behaviorist even though um like a a run-of-the-mill dog trainer like me <laughs> uh could probably help mm-hmm. them am, am I right? And and it's a yeah. little I, yeah. I mean oh, yeah. I know there are people happens. who do that for, and and to be clear for those who are listening who don't understand, veterinary behaviorists often I mean I know I know from experience you guys often have wait lists three, four months long And you know the fees for seeing a veterinary behaviorist. I I don't know if you want to share what your fees are, but I know they can be like a hundred dollars billed in fifteen-minute increments. It's it's, it's, not—it's—it's—it's no small thing, right? When people go to see a veterinary behaviorist, they're investing. uh, They're they're often getting on very long wait lists and investing a lot of money. I guess I have two questions. One, very much so. I mean, one—it seems like there are people who go to vet veterinary behaviorists that maybe don't really need it. Um, without understanding with the kind of commitment that's involved?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like it's it's a constant educational experience, you know, veteran um, behavior as far as a veterinary specialty is the newest subset of specialties in veterinary medicine. So, you know, we're still trying to get um, our methodology out there, you know, really trying to educate not only clients about their personal pets, but it's also a lot of re-educating within the veterinary community as well, just because previously there hasn't been a lot of education about um, behavior in specific. So, you know, it's important for us to have these conversations um, so that everybody can, you know, make those adjustments as necessary and get their treatment for their animals. But, um, um, yes, yeah, so to see a behavior vet, again, because there are so few around the world, it can be quite a, a wait to get in to see them. But, you know, that's really our job and part of my job as a client and, and administrative service coordinator is to have these conversations the first time that clients reach out to us because they're often, Confused, or they've just gotten our name or our number from somebody, and they often say, Hey, I don't really know what I'm looking for, but my dog has behavior issues. And you know, I always start with, I'm so sorry to hear that. Tell me a story, what's going on? Because you know, through listening through the client, you know, our goal is always to support the client and what their goals are because not everybody has the same goals, so it's our job to listen to them, figure out. What is the behavior of concern to you? Um, what exactly are you wanting to work on? And from there, you know, we can decide as an admin team you know, is it appropriate for you to start with training? You know, if it's basic puppy manners and obedience, and I've got to wait, I know that, hey, maybe I want to get this dog over to school for the dogs because number one, a puppy needs trained while they're still in that, you know, important sponge period, right? So I don't want to have puppies wait four months to see us. So that's where those relationships with you guys come in really handy for us to be able to refer out to trainers that we know, um, you know, your methods are conducive to our treatment plans, right? Um, so, yeah.
0: Uh, so you do have people who say like, I, 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 um, I'm not quite sure what I need and you can, you help guide those people.
1: All the time. Absolutely. <laughs> Multiple times a day.
0: Although I've, I've also seen a, a kind of extreme, uh, people who, who feel they, they need extreme care who probably are able to talk you into getting a, an appointment anyway. And then, and then probably sit there with Dr. Two or Dr. Christensen or whoever. And they're like. You didn't really need to, like, you didn't need to see a a psychiatrist for this issue necessarily.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we really try to address that before scheduling because the doctors are in such high demand. So again, that's our job as admin is to determine, is it appropriate to start with training or therapy? You know, in those cases, I'm going, absolutely. There's really, you know, number one, no really real reason for you to see a behavior vet right now because the behavior issues um, and concern are not that severe at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, You know, number two, we got to really reserve our behavior vets for cases that we know absolutely need to see us. I mean, if you're going to see a behavior vet, you're definitely going to need to be hooked up with a trainer or a consultant as well. But not uh, if you, if you hook up with a trainer or a consultant, you know, if your patient has mild behavior symptoms. Right. That could be you, enough, and you may not right, end up having behavior vet. Right, you, yeah. might,
0: you might even need to see them. Yeah, and, and
1: clients and, appreciate it from like a cost savings perspective of course. as well. <laughs> can, you,
0: can you explain what, or can you tell us what the costs are? As and which is, I guess, a good segue into our our question about getting it covered.
1: Absolutely. As far as right now, for seeing a behavior vet for an initial consultation, the cost is nine hundred dollars. Uh, Follow up appointments, you know. We're doing the majority of them virtually. We schedule them for a half an hour, and uh, the rates are $450 per hour, and we bill in 15-minute increments um, because some conversations may be short with some clients. Some of them may be a little bit longer. That can always be adjusted as necessary. Typically, I would say, you know, if you see a behavior vet, most often these cases I would plan on staying with us for at least six months Um, At that point, a lot of our patients do, you know, quote unquote, graduate our program. You know, everything seems to be much better by that six month mark and we can transfer them back to their primary vet for all future follow-ups, medication, refills, anything like that. And of course, with the understanding that they're welcome to come back and see us at any time. So whenever client wants to transfer back to their primary vet, we're happy to do that at any time. But typically, most of these patients, we're going to recommend that they're at least with us for six months. Now, granted, we still do have clients and patients who have been with us. Longer than that, you know, up to a year, some of them five years longer, you know, very much depends on the individual patient, because also as a patient ages, their behavior issues tend to kind of morph and evolve, you know, just based off of, you know, science, things that happen as they grow older, they might be losing their hearing their site. They may, you know, develop arthritis. Again, where we go back to talking about how does pain affect behavior. So oftentimes, you know, through the animal's life, even if they've graduated our program, they may be needing more assistance in the future to deal with these unforeseen changes medically. Maybe the owner moved and that was really upsetting to the dog. You know, There's a lot of different uh, reasons that a dog could need a behavior vet kind of long-term, but maybe not you know, every week long term, you know, but just have some supportive care throughout the lifetime of the animal.
0: Interesting. So uh, let's, let's talk about how insurance works, works into all of this. Love to. Do you have clients? um, I mean, I guess, first of all, what kind of percentage of your clients do you think are using insurance? And then secondly, uh, what, what is or isn't covered and how are those claims uh, working?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. You know, I, I don't feel like enough of our clients have insurance. Let's start there because it can really just be so helpful to have that peace of mind in the event of an emergency or, you know, worsening behavior issues, you know, whatever it may be, insurance can really provide um, a stable peace of mind if you ever are in that uh, moment where you're forced to make a tough decision between treating your dog or paying the bills next month right so I mean I do see that insurance more clients are purchasing insurance every year which we love to see in the veterinary community because again it allows us that um, that safeguard to be able to give the patients the treatment that they need. right now I would say maybe, or so of our clients have insurance, which is pretty high, to be honest. But would we like to get it up to, you know, 90%, 100%, you know, absolutely. Because again, like I said, just having that safeguard um, to use in these situations, you know, to avoid sticker shock um, can be very helpful, you know, and I can start off by saying, you know, most people are like, well, when should I enroll in these types of programs my recommendation, and from having pet insurance as a, as a pet owner myself, the earlier that you get them started in life, even though they're puppies, that can really be beneficial, okay, because insurances, from my experience, none of them cover pre-existing conditions, okay, so you're going to want to have the insurance already purchased, most of these companies are going to make you have a 30-day grace period before you can even start to use it. <laughs> you know, so it's not like you can sign up real quick and keep it a secret and you know use it the next day. Um, they are going to have a grace period for that. So if you can start them out when they're younger, um, very helpful. And a lot of these companies will even have um, um, provisions for wellness care that can really help with like. And tick prevention, vaccines, you know, all of those things are very important in in a puppy or a kitten's life as well. So we always recommend starting off as early as possible. Another reason this is beneficial is because the how old the pet is when you enroll them is going to give you your cost. Okay, so if you're signing up a four or five month old puppy, that's going to be less money out of your pocket than say, if you're trying to sign up your 11 year old dog, who's about to have end of life issues, right? So the sooner that you can start them, they're looking at the specific age, the breed of the pet and your location. Um, when determining insurance and it's very much just like car insurance what are they looking at the make the model where you located so that they can determine okay this is you know the claims that happen in this area and then everybody kind of splits the cost if you will insurance wise Um, but um, yeah so when you sign up for these insurances they're You know, they're pretty flexible on their plans as far as, you know, what can you pay for? Oftentimes you can select what kind of deductible that you want for each condition. So you could select like a $250 deductible or you could select a $2,000 deductible deductible and you know the 2000 is going to be cheaper because again you would be responsible for that first 2,000 for any given condition and then they would start to reimburse after you've reached your deductible. but if you pay a little extra every month for a lower deductible you know if you've got a big you know bill with broken leg something like that you know you may only have to pay that 200 and then the majority of these insurance companies they'll pay a certain percentage of things afterwards.
0: right. What is your experience with uh insurances covering veterinary uh, behaviorists?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the majority of them absolutely will cover our services. Um, where it gets tricky, and again, I'll always encourage clients to really call the companies that you're interested in working with, because again, it's going to depend on the breed of your dog, the age, um, what kind of records are already written in your primary vets, medicals, medical records, those sorts of things. But, um Yeah, so they will typically cover um, behavior veterinarians. Um, They have to be a diplomat of the DACVB, which we are. um, And I'll talk about training in a little bit. That's kind of a different subject. But for the behavior vet, yes, the majority of them are covering our services. Now, some of these companies may want like a written referral from their primary vet saying, hey, you know, Fluffy has this behavior issue and referring them over to behavior vets before the insurance would cover it. Um, Oftentimes, if you're not sure, the majority of these companies will have a pre-approval form um, that you can send us. We can fill out with an estimate for the cost of the initial consultations you can send it back to them. They can do whatever they do on their end to make sure that your particular policy covers our services. Um, Most veterinarians in general are happy to submit claims for any company. We don't really have in-network and out-of-network type of things with pet insurance. Um, It may go that way someday, but for right now we don't. So yeah, we're happy to submit claims for For any company, we just ask that the particular client verifies that their insurance company and their particular policy covers our services.
0: And uh, have you found that there are are services that are easier or harder to work with or that just blanket won't cover what you guys do?
1: You know, the the last I knew, the only company that I knew um, that covered zero behavior issues is Healthy Paws. Um, I've definitely had a conversation with them about this. I, you know, I don't know if a lot of clients know, but more dogs are euthanized every year because of behavior issues than any other reason, medical, cancer, old age, any other reason. So, you know, it's really important for us to also educate these insurance companies on the benefit of treating dogs um, with behavior issues, because this also will cut down on the amount of dogs that are. Rehomed in shelters, thrown out on the street—you know—behavior is is a major thing. There's a lot of anxiety in the world today, um, with people and with dogs. Even with COVID, we've really seen an uptick in canine anxiety because of COVID as well. So, um, again, very important to have that coverage at this point. But the the rest of them, at least the ones that I have experience with, and granted, there's a new pet insurance company kind of popping up daily, but um, the majority of them yes, will absolutely cover behavior issues.
0: Uh, up to a certain point or just to whatever the the limit is and and do you think that you, you do you think that uh these do you think that veterinary behaviorists get treated uh differently than other kinds of specialists that someone might want to bring their dog to um and then submit a claim to insurance
1: i I haven't heard of that being an issue again you know i've I've worked in you know veterinary behavior I've worked in veterinary internal medicine, specialty medicine you know pretty much my whole career, and the claims process is pretty much the same across the board. so I don't feel like we're treated any differently than um, than the other specialists, but mm-hmm. oftentimes again, it's just a little bit of education and actually talking with the companies about their behavior coverage. I do know that there are a few companies out there that you know you have to purchase the main policy but then you may also have to purchase what they call an additional rider so some companies will lump us into the category you know veterinary behavior water treadmill acupuncture you know holistic care we're kind of lumped in with with those guys in some of the policies as well so again just important to check with your insurance company you know is my main policy enough to cover that behavior or is there additional coverage that I should purchase on top of that
0: Interesting, so this is not something that I'm suggesting anyone do, but I'm curious if this happens because I do know that we sometimes have people who are quite disappointed that we don't take insurance as dog trainers. Mm-hmm. Are there situations where people will seek out a veterinary behaviorist who can then refer them to one of their trainers um, in order to get it coverage? I mean is are people who work with your trainers? covered as it's billed through a veterinarian?
1: Yeah, so for the majority of these insurance companies, what I've seen from their policies is that they will cover training as long as it's under the umbrella of the DACVB, which Behavior Vets is um, and um, because they're viewing it as, okay, you work for a veterinary behaviorist, so we know we can trust you, basically. Um, typically, um, not only DACVB, but also certified applied animal behaviorists as well, which you were talking about. Those, those are kind of um, a little bit harder to locate around, but um, they'll, they'll usually cover services from them also. Um, but I have heard, and again, this is where it's important just to take your policy into consideration. If you had just recently signed up your eight week old puppy and you just wanted to work on training for basic manners and obedience, that's where things get kind of tricky. And it may be more difficult to get that cover because again, that's kind of seen as preventative or wellness care at that point. Now, should your dog, you know, say it's, you know, 12 weeks old, but it already is having leash aggression, then that's a problem behavior. And yes, typically they will cover those. But if you're just looking on, you know, to work on the basic sit down, stay strong recall, things of that nature, then they potentially may not cover those services with us um, or outside of the DACVB or a, um, CAAB as well.
0: Interesting. So it sounds like it would be unlikely... That like Dr. Christensen or Dr. Two would see someone who has a puppy who has no issues and then refer them to training for which they then get reimbursed because as veterinarians, they would honestly say, I don't, we don't think this puppy has severe enough issues to warrant. Correct.
1: You know, luckily that's a situation that I haven't run into yet, you know, but that's something I'm always talking with clients with is like, okay, to find out you're going to need to find out from your insurance company, what do they need to make sure that our services are covered? Because say, even that we're seeing a dog with separation anxiety, right? Something kind of minor, but um, existing. Um, So they may not cover therapy sessions with us until they see a behavior vet um, so that's where it's important to again just check with the insurance company to see what do they require. Now I haven't had that situation come up before. Um, certainly, I have had clients who, um, you know, tell us that they have insurance and are only signing up for therapy at this point. <clears throat> which, in all honesty, I do think that they should cover those because I can get you in with a trainer or a consultant much sooner than I can get you in with a behavior vet at this point, right? And oftentimes, it's really important that we start the therapy now. Even if they end up having to see Dr. Two or Dr. Spano in the future, we've got some therapy, some you know basic stuff down that we're already working on so they should cover those. But again, I just encourage clients to please just verify with your particular insurance company and your particular policy what they need to make sure that everything's covered. And these companies should be more than happy to help you out with that. And like I said, there's always these pre-approval forms too. I get those sent to me all the time. I'll fill them out, send them back to you. You can send them back to your insurance and they'll be able to do what they need to do on their end to make their decision, again, to give you that peace of mind that, yes, we will cover this appointment for you so that you're going in knowing that um, that you'll get reimbursed for that.
0: So you're saying sometimes, uh I, I, I was under the impression that usually people did see one of the doctors and then were referred to one of your trainers, but you're saying sometimes people start with the trainers before they have an appointment or might never have an appointment with one of the veterinarians, but because those trainers are working for a veterinarian, the service is therefore covered. Am Am I correct? Yeah, exactly. You know,
1: and when we, back in the day when we weren't as busy and it was like, okay, I can get you in with a behavior vet or the consultant, both within a week. You know, at that point, it's really the owner's choice. Like, do you want to start with therapy? See if you're making the improvements that you're hoping for that way. And if you are, great, then you don't even need to see a behavior vet. Or if you really want to get to the bottom of this, if you're one of those, you know, gung-ho owners that's just ready to tackle the problem and do whatever you need to do, absolutely. We can get you scheduled with a behavior vet first. Um and she can write the prescription over to the consultant, and then you guys can start therapy after that. But given the nature of the business that Dr. Two and Dr. Spano are booked out for about three months in advance right now, oftentimes we are definitely recommending starting therapy work immediately. So that way, you know, you can talk about relaxation exercises. You know, there's a lot of things that consultants, can do to try and manage the behavior as best as we can now. You know, I'm thinking specifically in those cases, you know, with dogs um, that are aggressive to children in the house, right? That's an emergent situation that we need to start working with right away if they're not going to respond to the therapy the way that we had hoped there's still a lot of things that we can talk about how do we manage this from a day-to-day standpoint you know where's the dog when your baby's in the high chair eating cheerios where's your dog when the baby's in the bathtub screaming you know all of those things are very important to educate owners on as soon as possible so really it's the owner's choice which route that they decide to go first nature of the business right now, I can get you in with a consultant much sooner than a behavior vet.
0: It makes me wonder why there aren't more uh, trainers working for non-veterinary behaviorists who are clued into behavior to some extent. Would, would those trainers be covered, do you think? If they worked or, for a
1: non-boarded like, behavior vet? Yeah. I mean I I don't I don't know. No. Um because the facility has to be DACVB. So, you know, what Annie's asking is like there are veterinarians out there who are not yet specialized and haven't actually taken their board exams to become a boarded behavior vet, but they may be a general medicine veterinarian who has a specific interest in behavior, but's not interested in going, you know, the full, you know, 10 to 15 year residency and, you know, becoming boarded a specialized behavior vet. So those type of vets do exist. But from what I've seen from these insurance companies, it must be a DACVB facility in order for them to cover anything.
0: So, when you're working with people, are there any, um, and, and doing the pre approval, yeah, and dealing with people who are getting reimbursed? Have you heard any, um, like, great wins or great horror stories?
1: I mean, the majority of uh, pet insurance claims seem to go pretty smoothly, if I'm being honest. I mean, certainly there are those instances. You know, where I have seen clients reach out like my company is not wanting to cover the services. Again, that's where doing a pre approval can really come in handy because what these insurance companies are looking for is number one, when did the client purchase the policy? Number two, when is the first mention in the primary vet's medical records that this dog is dealing with any behavior issues? If your policy was purchased after any indication in the records about anxiety, I mean, any behavior word that's in there, it gets put into the category of pre-existing condition, right? Um, We certainly have cases, too, where, you know, the owner will say, you know, hey, I want to work on, you know, leash aggression, And they're trying to make that their primary concern, but come to find out like the dog is actually like fit for people. (laughs) Um, So they're trying to, you know, work around the system a little bit, if you will, in those cases. Um, And those can be a little bit difficult. That's when typically Dr. 2 or Dr. Spano, I've seen them have to get on the phone with insurance companies before, help them out with the appeal process, because there's only so much we can do on our end. There's usually official like Um, Appeal process paperwork and things like that that any admin can help with. But sometimes it gets to the point where the doctor actually has to call and chat with the insurance company. Okay, why are you guys denying this claim? This is what I'm seeing from my end, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the insurance companies will make their decision from there. Unfortunately, I have found that I have actually not yet seen one appeal be reversed. Um, They're pretty diligent on their end as far as insurance companies go about. I have not really seen any appeal process that we have done over here come out successful for the client. Um, the insurance companies are pretty on top of their stuff with knowing and uh, you know scanning those medical records uh, with a magnifying glass to see you know if any of this was pre-existing. So again, we're happy to help with appeals process, but at, at that point, if you have been denied, it's most likely going to stay that way. So, doing the pre-approval process. To avoid these surprises where I was like, well, I really thought my insurance company was going to cover this. Well, we didn't actually check, you know, so it's always helpful to check.
0: But a client doesn't need like a referral to go to to go to a veterinary behaviorist, right? I mean, it depends on the company. Ah, okay. well, that's interesting, too. So some some insurances are going to say your primary vet has to
1: suggest this and others will... Absolutely. Oh okay. Yeah. And that's not something that we need. We're not gonna require a referral from a primary vet to treat behavior problems because certainly we just have clients that found us online, you know, just trying to do some research, get some help. So that's not something that we require as a business, but some insurance companies may want an official letter from the primary vet saying, Hey, this dog has problem A, B, and C referring to behavior vets for help. And then they're like, Oh, okay, great. <laughs>
0: It's possible you could go to your vet, your vet could write in your file, this dog has severe separation issues, and then you get insurance, and then you go to the veterinary behaviorist, and that would be denied because it'll be on the record as a previously existing condition.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it can actually be a little bit worse than that, unfortunately. Like, I have seen a couple cases where, you know, the owner was denied coverage, and Reading back through the primary vet's records, I saw like one sentence that had the word anxiety in it. And that in and of itself is enough to put it as a pre-existing condition, unfortunately. And again, it very much depends on the specific patient. You know, anxiety is a very general word, so it, it, it holds a lot of weight to it. You know, now if the primary vet had something in the records like, oh, starting to growl at the housemate, something like that. Some of that can just be normal behavior, right? So that's where it gets frustrating from our perspective in working with insurances. Is like, okay, well, you can't ever expect a dog to not growl. <laughs> like, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a pre-existing condition for something that ended up being an issue, you know, months later that's where it just gets tough. It's tough dealing with insurance companies because ultimately it's their call and it's whatever that they're reading in the primary vets records. You know, all this can be figured out even right. before they come to see us, you know?
0: So one of, one of the companies that I've been talking to, I asked them if they would cover veterinary behaviorist and their mm-hmm. response was it would only be covered if it was linked to a specific injury or illness. And uh, I, I wasn't sure how to parse that. How would you interpret that? So to me,
1: that sounds like that's a company that's going to want a referral from the primary vet. Illness could be mental. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's a, it's a very general term, right, to where you're left going, well, I don't really understand this insurance crap, right? So what is what is exactly what does that mean? But to me, it means like, They want to see in the primary vet's records that like, hey, this dog, I yes, I see that it has a problem and I want it to get over to behavior vets for treatment at that point, as opposed to somebody, you know, who's like, oh, I haven't actually been to my primary vet in three years because my dog's super aggressive and I can't go there. But now I want to seek out the help of a veterinary behaviorist. Still sounds pretty iffy to me. <laughs> it's, all, it's all very iffy, which is why we just encourage clients to have that conversation with your insurance company about your particular policy. What do they need? What are they looking for? Because, again, neither one of us, we don't work for these insurance companies, right? We're just here to try to interpret as best as we can. <laughs> right. Do you have insurance for your pet's? I do. Yeah, and I am very happy with that. You know, I I started both of I have a dog and a cat they are about 9 and 10 years old now, and I started them both when they were very young, and I'm so incredibly grateful that I did because
0: so um, who, both who of them. Do you have?
1: <laughs> I have true panion. I'm definitely happy to be a, a a a good advocate for that company. I absolutely love it. You know, my my dog at a very young age, she um, just stopped eating one day, um, come to find out she needed an endoscopy with biopsies. She's diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. She's going to be on medications for the rest of her life. Um, then she ended up needing a back surgery um, through a veterinary neurologist, which runs you about twelve grand out of pocket. Um, and then she needed a second back surgery. And then, believe it or not, she needed a third back surgery as well. So, um, you know that would have put me in a very difficult decision emotionally and financially, and you know during all those times if if I could afford to treat my dog who I love very much, right, and same thing for my cat, she's got a lifelong illness, and you know one of her medications is two hundred dollars a month that she's on, so having that peace of mind that I know that my girls are taking care of, and I can pay my bills next month is just absolutely priceless as far as as we're concerned. So we definitely recommend every client, sign your pets up for pet insurance. It will be worth it in the long run.
0: And do you suggest going then, given your experiences, for whatever
1: the highest yearly limit is? Not a lot of them. That's where different insurance companies are going to come into play because some of these companies may have lifetime limits on specific illnesses. Some of them do not. Okay, so... Um, you know, I'm pretty happy with Trupanion. You know, I don't have a lifetime limit per illness, um, which is certainly great. But I have seen those companies that do have that out there. But again, it's all like a pick and choose kind of what works for you, you know, those types of things. So um, either way, they're they're pretty helpful. But I really just encourage people to um, you know, do their research when it comes to, to pet insurance. Again, I'm, I'm very happy with Chupanion. A lot of our clients um, use Nationwide. I've heard very good things about them. Um, Pets Best, Pumpkin Insurance, ASPCA Insurance. I would say that those are probably the the five top that we see over here. Um, but again, there's little ones popping up here and there all the time where I'm like, oh, this is a new company. Let me, let me look into them, see what they're offering.
0: Well, this has been so helpful. I've learned a lot. I think I... I... Might title this episode something like "What is a veterinary behaviorist, and will my insurance cover it?"
1: <laughs> I love it. it. Sounds perfect to me.
0: That kind of seems like it sums it up. Anyway, great to meet you. And uh, are yeah, you in Denver well. or Boulder?
1: Yep, I'm in Denver. Um, I actually came out when, like, when we were just getting behavior vets, um, you know, getting full time a few years ago, and you know, did a couple consults at School for the Dogs, met Kate, you know, met a lot of you guys Mm -hmm. when I was down there. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm not sure where you were at that point. But yeah, um, I love it out there in New York. I mean, it's a great place to visit. I'm not sure I would want to live there. All
0: right. Well, I I do hope that you'll stop by if you are in New York this summer.
1: And of um, course, yeah, I haven't seen you guys this new place yet. I'd love to stop by.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, for those listening who don't know, you guys, Behavior Vets used to rent space from us and and operate, uh, see see clients through us, I mean, at our studio, uh, but not since we moved to our East 7th Street location. Yeah, Yeah,
1: we definitely have to come see. Yeah, currently, yeah, we're we're practicing. uh, We've teamed up with the Heart of Chelsea Mm -hmm. uh, Veterinary Clinics. Um, They've got three of them in the area. And right now we see appointments out of their uh, West 46th Street location, which is their newest location. Awesome. Great. They're a wonderful vet. All right. Yes, they are. We'll we'll chat again soon. I hope. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you so much, Annie. Have a great day. School, school for the
0: dogs. Thank you so much for listening. And special thanks to Bill and Lizzie of Toast Garden for the amazing theme song. You can find Toast Garden at youtube.com slash toastgarden. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping at storeforthedogs.com and you can learn more about us at schoolforthedogs.com. You can also connect with other listeners by downloading our brand new app, just visit schoolforthedogs.com community. Do you need some help teaching your dog where you want him to pee or poop? And when? If so, I hope you'll check out our brand new, totally free house training guide. You can find it at schoolforthedogs.com house. It's filled with lots of really good tips on how to train a dog to potty in the right spot, but it also is going to explain to you how to teach your dog to do it on cue. So go check it out: schoolforthedogs.com/house.